We were in a series on Ruth, but we're taking a little detour today. We're going to talk about Baltimore, a city in crisis. Baltimore, a city in crisis. If, if, you just, if you've been out of the country, maybe you even know that now. If you just come in today, you, you know that something's happened in Baltimore this week. What a week it's been. What a week it has been. And we all saw probably on, on, on Monday when things really, the riots really broke out and some of us, some of you, some of us, we participated in, in this cleanup on Tuesday morning. Uh, there were various prayer meetings. We had a couple of prayer meetings here and all over the city. There have been prayer meetings. We've had prayer gatherings, some even yesterday and Friday. We, we, we saw every night the standoff at 10 o'clock, the curfew, as the week went on. This kind of soft curfew. We saw peaceful demonstrations and peaceful protests all over town by all kinds of people. That was a blessing. We saw Friday, the, we saw the National Guard come to town, and then we saw on Friday the state's attorney's announcement that the six officers will be charged, and, 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 and then there were more protests and demonstrations and sort of celebrations, even yesterday. Wow, what a week, what a week, what a week of ups and downs. It's been a roller coaster emotionally, hasn't it? We have seen the worst of Baltimore and the best of Baltimore right before our very eyes, haven't we? Earlier this week, we decided to take a detour and not talk about Ruth but to talk about the book of Lamentations, the fifth chapter of Lamentations. I was prompted to read that small Old Testament book, Lamentations, as I looked and studied and prayed about our city, Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland, charm city, the monument city, the crab cake capital of the world, the city that reads, the city of first. It's one of the interesting nicknames about our city because there are dozens and dozens a first that happened in Baltimore. The first postal system in the nation was in Baltimore in 1774. The nation's first railroad system in 1830, the B&O system. The, the first typesetting machine for printing presses in 1884 in Baltimore. The first dental school in 1840 Baltimore. The first dental school in the, um, in the world, as a matter of fact. In the area of religion, maybe you don't know this, but uh, the, the Catholics, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Unitarians, and, and even the Jewish community, they all have count significant firsts that happened in Baltimore. First, first congregation in, in, in America, the first uh, cluster, district or presbytery in America, in Baltimore, in the Baltimore area. Baltimore is a city of firsts. Baltimore is a city of firsts. And you know, on Thursday, we even, we even added one thing to that list. Did you, did you hear about the baseball game? The first professional baseball game ever where the, spectator, the, the, the paid spectators were zero. Baltimore, city of firsts. Things start in Baltimore. By the way, you're all invited to, to this discussion we're having afterwards, this time of discussion and prayer for our city. As we talk about the steps forward and, and, and just as we want to hear just how you've processed this week. But we're going to talk for, very briefly about Lamentations, this book of Lamentations. Uh, the prophet... <clears throat> Jeremiah wrote this book at the start of the exile, the captivity, in approximately 587 B.C. And Israel has been taken captive by the Babylonians. And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles. And we heard a prayer from Daniel at the same time. Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel, all those books uh, come to uh, mention this portion of, of, of Jewish history. And the book of Job addresses kind of the personal sufferings, the personal crisis of, of, of an individual. But this book talks about a national crisis, national suffering of God's people at this time in history. Um, Lamentations 5. Why don't we stand? I'm going to read this, this portion of God's word. And then we'll have some comments. <clears throat> Lamentations 5. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. 
Look, see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We've become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We've given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There's none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men, their, their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For, this, for these things, our eyes have grown dim. From Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. God's word. You may be seated. <coughs> Restore us to yourself, O Lord. What does a restored city look like? What words can describe it? Peace? Prosperity? Security? Equality? Safety? Does a vision for a restored Baltimore also include words like righteousness, holiness, agape love, revival? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gained the entire world but forfeit his soul? I'd like to suggest that unless the changes that we all want to see in our city unless they are grounded in a major movement of the Spirit of God, then all we will be doing is readjusting the chairs on the Titanic. The Titanic. Remember the Titanic in 1912, the unsinkable ship that got sunk? The Atlantic Ocean on its first maiden voyage? When people come to the end of themselves, they, they can cry out to God, and, and our God is eager to do something so that he might be glorified. Is Baltimore ready for God to do something? That's the question. It must begin with God's people, realizing that the times in which we live are, 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 are significant times. They realize that we need to go to him in repentance and ask him to rebuild our hearts and then rebuild our city. See, God can still use the devastation of a city to drive his people back to himself. And maybe that's what God wants to do to the people of God here in Baltimore. I want to talk about three things and I'm looking at my clock as we started kind of late and I'm going to try to rush through this, but stay, so stay with me. Three things. The need for restoration, the source of restoration, and a plea for restoration. First of all, a need for restoration. Verses uh, um, 1 to 18. In verse 1, uh, Jeremiah's the heart cry that he has is just remember, Lord, look, at, look see our disgrace, the, the cry of the heart. And then for verses 2 to 10, 
he talks about first the economic crisis, needs in the economic area. Look at what he talks about in verse 2. That the promised land, the land of inheritance, is, is now belonging to strangers, the Babylonians. That men are dying, so there's lots of orphans and widows in the land. That, that, that at one time they were self-sufficient, but now, now they have, to, they have to, to purchase water and bring it in, and purchase wood and bring it in. They have to go afar for the basic needs of life. In verse 5, he says they can't even get rest. In fact, um, in Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah challenges them that you need to take the Sabbath. Take the Sabbath seriously. They're so, economically, they're so stressed and strapped, they've got to work seven days to try to get what they need. This is the economic crisis. Verse 7, um, he mentions that they're, they're reaping the consequences of previous generations. The decisions that were made by previous generations are impacting them right there. In verse 8, slaves ruling over them. You see, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He was in Babylon. But he had people who were, who were his lackeys who were over them. And they say, we know the ones that are ruling us. They are, it's, 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 they're just slaves. They're just servants of, of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Slaves ruling over us. And then in verse 9, he says that they even have to travel in dangerous areas to get their food. Anyway, there's an economic crisis, verses 2 to 10. Verses 11 and 13, he moves on and talks about a crisis in the social realm, that women are being abused, that leaders are being executed, that the elders of the community are no longer given the respect that elders were always given. A crisis, a social crisis. Verses 14 and 16, he talks about a political crisis. He talks about the city gate. And at the city gate in verse 14, you need to think about downtown. You need to think about city hall and the commercial districts of, of, of the land, because that's the city gate was where the, where the decisions were made by the leaders of the city. And the, decisions, the political decisions and the, and the commercial decisions. And the, he said, that there's no elder, those old men, they've left the city gate because they don't have any authority anyway. He talks about young men, their music. And you know, ever been downtown and, and heard the kind of the joyful, the street singers, they, they have their little, their little musicians on the, on the street. They're gone. There's no joy in the city because there are people who are occupied. A political crisis. And then there's a religious crisis, verses 17 to 18. Look at what happens. He, he ponders the fact that the temple in Mount Zion, there's no worship there. There's no sacrifice there. There's no prayer. There's no priesthood. It's just desolate. Wild animals are probably running through. The jackals. There's a religious crisis. And he is heartbroken. His eyes are weary from crying at night at the plight of God's glory being removed from the holy place. Now you may be thinking that's a lot of interesting stuff about what happened in Jerusalem uh, in, in, in uh, Jeremiah's uh, life, but what does it have to do with us? I think it has a lot to do with us. It has a lot to do with us who live in Baltimore. Now we, we are not the nation of Israel. No. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Listen, first of all, Scripture seems to, to give some very basic things for all people. That, hum, if, you, that, that if you do certain things carefully, it will go well with you. It will promote flourishing and, 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 and prosperity for you if you follow certain principles. The second half of the Ten Commandments, by the way, and, and, and the law that's written on the hearts of all people is what we're talking about here. And it, it gives a certain basic direction that if we follow it, we, we will, it will go well with us. Also, we, we can't let the fact that Jerusalem was a very special city with a special covenant relationship with God we can't let that get in the way of the fact that God is, is the Lord of all cities and of all peoples. Don't forget that. Think of the Old Testament Jeremiah, of prophet Jeremiah himself. 
And he, when he writes this book, his, his books come, I'm sure you've sat down one day and read all 52 chapters, right? No, read Jeremiah one day. Or, or sit down and, and study that. Chapters 46 to 51, he turns his attention to the nations. He, the, the Egyptians and, and, and the Babylonians and the Moabites and the, and the Ammonites and the Philistines, and they are accountable to God. And also, as Christians, we can legitimately, as Christians, look at verses like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, which was given to Israel during the captivity, and we can make practical applications to believers in any city, in any time. Why? Because believers are not to be wedded to their locality. We are aliens and strangers in a foreign land, the scriptures tell us. Paul said that our citizenship is in heaven. We are dual citizens. He says, Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador lives in a land that's not the, his native land, but in that land he represents the, 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 need, the needs of those in authority in his native land. And we are ambassadors. We, are, we, we represent heaven. We don't represent earth. All of us are strangers and aliens and are not to get too tied to this world and to the city and nation in which we live. And yet, the scriptures say, we have a responsibility to the nation and city in which we live. Jeremiah 29 7 says, to us and to every generation, as your city prospers, so shall you prosper. That's what it says. Now, yes, he was specifically talking about pagan Babylon. We know that. He wasn't talking about Jerusalem, though. They were now in Babylon. He says, be in Babylon. You see, as we heard in the Daniel passage, the issue is God, God has surprised them by, by, by disciplining them and taking them to Babylon. And they think, well, this is going to be long because obviously God, this can't be long because Jerusalem's God's city. And because God wants to be honored and glorified, he's not going to let us stay here in Babylon very long. So we're not going to really dig deep in Babylon. We're, we're going to rent. We're not going to buy. That's what he's and, and so the prophet says, Daniel says, no, 70 years. T take your shoes off. Take your coat off. Buy a house. You're going to be here 70 years. And, and that's what's going on. And so he says, go there. Live there. Plant gardens. Have children. Bear, bear children have families in this Babylon, this foreign city. And as that city prospers, you shall prosper. I would believe God would say to the believers who are foreigners and aliens in Baltimore, as we prosper, Baltimore will prosper. And as Baltimore prospers, we will prosper. Our prosperity is, is intimately linked to the city in which we live. <clears throat> now sadly, like Jerusalem in the 6th century B.C., in our day we're seeing in our city economic and social and political and a religious crisis. Baltimore is broken, needs to be fixed. And the crisis climax, what we've seen over the last eight days, sadly. Like Jerusalem, Baltimore has a, gr a great history, you know. You know, at one point after World War II, Baltimore was the sixth largest city in the United States. Oh, almost a million people. Industry was booming. Employment was high. Working class city. In 1968, riots came. Angry citizens vented frustration at the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. He was, the last, he was seen as the last hope for equality, opportunity for minority people. 
Was that anger rational? No. Anger often isn't rational. Was that violence rational? No. In, in the next few years, families and businesses exited the city. Between 1950 and 1990, in fact, the population decreased by 200,000 people. Now it's the 26th largest city. So, some might recall the $1 row homes you could buy in Maryland, in Baltimore. Remember that? Years ago, if you've been around for a while. You could buy a $1 home and restore it. It was an incentive to get people to stay in the city or come to the city and live. You might recall the bulldozing of the rat-infested, drug-infested um, high-rises. Then there came renewed vision and a season of hope. The inner harbor with the Camden Yards ballpark both became models to other cities that were seeking urban renewal, economic renewal of urban centers. There was the success of the Ravens that really united the city, several Super Bowls. Hope returned. A new generation of hardworking people took jobs in medicine, education, technology. I mean, if you were part of that, 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 that crowd, more hope. There's Under Armour, Amazon, even Target. I, I, I blew my mind, blew away a few years ago when, when I saw that there was a, now a Target in Mondowman. I said, wow, Baltimore is really turning around. But there were TV shows like Homicide and The Wire that were reminding us that there's another Baltimore. We painted a picture of a different Baltimore. For certain segments of society, nothing had improved at all. And so here in the spring of 2015, what have we seen? Despair, the hopelessness, and the feeling of being locked out climaxed onto the streets the last few days with the tragic death of Freddie Gray. While he was under the care of the police, and so he witnessed demonstrations and cries that somehow something wrong had occurred and that Baltimore is still broken and needs to be fixed. In one sense, we were back to where we were in 1968, dealing with riots in the street, a frustrated segment of the population. We're still, we still are in desperate need of renewal and restoration. We still need to be fixed as a city. We're broken. The restoration must begin for it to be lasting with God's people. The source of restoration, verses 19 and 20. But you, he's talking about all the, the, the crisis. He says, but you, verse 19, you reign forever, O Lord. Your throne endures to all generations. Jeremiah realizes that, 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 that the restoration is needed and that the source of restoration must be from the throne of God. But you, O Lord. Because, Lord, you're the one who reign forever. You are the Lord. Like Isaiah in the temple, Jeremiah knows. He sees the Lord. He needs to see the Lord. Like John on the Isle of Patmos, Jeremiah sees the Lord. More than ever, we, God's people, need to see the Lord high and lifted up, reigning and controlling and not sweating over the things that make us sweat. Seeing our sovereign Lord, what he's done, has done in allowing the city to be destroyed, Jeremiah, he doesn't blame the devil. He doesn't even blame Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. He knows who to go to. He goes to his Lord because he knows that though all this is happening, his Lord is still in charge. His Lord, our Lord, is still on the throne. And yet he says to his Lord, paraphrasing, God, what are you doing? 
Have you forgotten us? Why does it seem right now like you've left us, like you've forsaken us? How are you going to get any glory from us here in Babylon? And, and saints, I have to admit that that's the, kind of the way I was feeling sometimes on, Saturday, on, on Monday night. As I watched what was taking place in the streets of North and Penn in Baltimore. I had moments where I said, Lord, what is going on here? I'm sure some of you had those kind of moments too. As I sought to make sense of it, I, one thing kept coming to my mind, that God is still on the throne. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> it looks like chaos is broken out. But God is still on the throne. He is still ruling. He is still reigning. He is never caught by surprise. He is still accomplishing his greater purposes for Baltimore and for us in our lives. We believe that. In um, the 19th century, there was a pastor and hymn writer named Maltby Babcock um, who pastored in New York and in Baltimore. And um, there's a church on Lockerbie Boulevard named after him, Bob Babcock Presbyterian Church. One of the hymns he wrote, I understand from um, oral tradition, he, he wrote it uh, while um, looking at Drew, over Drew Hill Park. The, it's, it's a great hymn. You've smelled, you know it. It's called, This is My Father's World. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrongs seem off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. And so with all the saints, we continue to cry, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it's done in heaven. That's Jeremiah's cry. That was Babcock's cry. That should be our cry in times like these. And then in verses 21 and 22, we see the, the plea for restoration. We see Jeremiah's plea. He plea cries out for restoration. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our, renew our days as of old. Interesting in, in that he, he says, uh, unless you've utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us, uh, God being exceedingly angry, you know, that, that bothers us sometimes. You know, why, why would he say that? He, he's, he's saying, this that has happened, is it the, the temporary discipline of a loving father, or is this the final findings of a court judgment? See, sometimes when stuff happens to you as a believer, you think this is the final verdict of the, of the court, not the discipline of a father. And, and, and that's where Jeremiah is. He's wondering. Because clearly he says, God, must, you must be angry. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus got angry. Have you noticed that? A couple, couple things. Remember in Mark chapter 3, Jesus was, he was angry. Mark 3, 5. Angry at religious legalism that lacked compassion and mercy. And, it's, and Mark in the text says, Jesus angry looked at them. He was angry. Be angry, but sin not, says in Ephesians. Remember that? In John chapter 2, Jesus is in the temple. And the money changers, remember, you know the story, the money changers are there, they, people come from far and they have to exchange currency and, and, and the, the, those who were there were ripping people off with exorbitant profits and it wasn't fair. And, and, and Jesus, I don't think he was very meek and mild at that point when he turned the tables over and made a scene. He said, this is to be a house of prayer, not a house where people are profiting from the, people who, the poor people who come in here. Jesus exhibited righteous anger in the scriptures, reminding us that God has righteous anger. Now, we, this week there was a, a, a thing, well, a picture went viral of this woman, Toya Graham, who exhibited some 
righteous anger. I'm not sure how righteous it was because it bleeped out a couple of times. She had some colorful metaphors in that, in that scene. But, 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 but she saw her son acting the fool out in Mondelman, and she went out there and slapped him around a couple of times. And uh, I don't know if the corporal punishment, punishment people do about that, but she was heralded as, as a hero, and many mothers said, go, girl. <laughs> we, we, we see a plea, though, for restoration from Jeremiah. We need to cry out to the Lord who hears the cries of his people. Because Baltimore, like Jerusalem, needs restoration. The church needs restoration. You and I need restoration because we're broken. We're broken. The good news is that God fixes up broken things, isn't it? Our God fixes up things that are broken. The church is to be salt in the world, salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's who we need to be. Let me suggest a few quick applications of various areas in terms of, of how we're to be salt and light. In the area of family, we're to, again, we're to live as raised families as God's people, as salt and light, be an influence. Men and women should marry and have children and raise children to love Jesus as best they can. That's, that's our responsibility. We've seen a baptism today. We need to do that. That's our primary first responsibility, to, to disciple our children. That they would have a biblical worldview and want to be used in, as, as agents of change in, the, in this world. And have their lives count for the kingdom. Youth and education. What about, what, what about the schools? What about mentoring of young people? Of impacting their lives? We need teachers and mentors who don't, who don't just have skill, but have Holy Spirit wisdom to be loving mentors. We need administrators behind the scenes in the educational system. What about the law enforcement? We, we need spirit-filled police on the street and in headquarters. We need spirit-empowered wisdom in the courtroom behind the, 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 uh, the, the, the bench there. We need politicians in the area of politics who care about all people and execute mercy and justice and realize and appreciate the role of church, the role of state, the role of family. We need people who Christians feel the spirit to run for office to get prepared to make a difference rather than just complain about it. We need people in the media who stand for truth, truth, and bring the balance because there's so much extreme talk and extreme opinion in the media. People who are committed to telling the truth, reporters, commentators, editors. We have several, one in our congregation, and we know several in the Sun papers. That's great. We need more people committed to being agents of the kingdom of God in the media. And let's not forget ourselves. What about the area of religion? You know, we, we, we need clergy who, who understand that, that, that some sin is personal and some sin is not, some sin is structural. And that not all sin is, is personal and not all sin is structural. They have a balanced view of sin and a balanced view of, hu of human nature, a balanced view of humanity, and, a, and therefore a balanced view of what the, some of the remedies are. We need spirit-filled ministers who know that transforming the systems of our city can only happen through transformed individuals with Jesus Christ, making them salt and light. Listen, why did God judge Sodom and Gomorrah? I've asked that question before in this pulpit. In Genesis 19, we see the sexual sin of, 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 of Sodom. Was that the reason why? In Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel talks about, he talks like this, um, pride Excess of food, prosperous, prosperous ease, 
but you did not aid the poor and needy. Was it the oppression of the poor? And those things listed there? Well, I would say no to both those. Neither of those, are the, it wasn't because of their sexual sin or because of their oppression. Why did God judge Sodom and Gomorrah? You know the story. Abraham goes there and deals with God, and God says, look, if you can find 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. He couldn't find them. Sodom and Gomorrah were judged because there was no salt, there was no light. That's the reason. And we, in the body of Christ, need to stop arguing about uh, those on the right and those on the left. And, and, and our, the, 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 the big thing is we are the salt of the earth, and we need to understand more deeply that this, this view that the Spirit of God wants us to, to be agents of change individually, that we might change the structures that are around us. It's a both, it's a both and. See, this crisis in Baltimore is a wake-up call to God's people, you and me. We're the ones who hold back judgment. The restoration must begin in the house of God. The church always leads, always. How do we do that? By repenting regularly ourselves. <laughs> By walking in repentance regularly, walking in humility regularly ourselves fleeing to the cross of Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit that I might be used, be, might be used by you. Ephesians 5.18. By promoting biblical unity in the church and in the community. I'm troubled, but I, I, I was impressed this week that there was a lot of praying going on. I was troubled that it was not a lot of united prayer across the, the, the um, divides happening. I, that, that bothered me. We still have a long way to go. Baltimore is still a, a very much divided church. By challenging both individuals and systems to join us in doing justice, loving mercy, and humbly repenting before our God. And lastly, by challenging those with power and those without power, that every single one of us will eventually give an account to God, the God who lovingly made us all, who knows us all, and wants us to know him and to love him and to serve him. Prayer of Jeremiah should be our prayer, simple prayer. Restore us, O Lord. Now, the, the Lord's Supper that we do every month is a reminder that we need to be restored, that we're broken people, that, that without him we can do nothing. And, and so we come this morning to celebrate the supper that Jesus inaugurated on the night that he was betrayed. Let me ask the officers to come forward as we, as we continue. Well, that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant, shed for the remission of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim my death till I come again. Jesus Christ. This is not my table. This is the Lord's table. He's the one who invites us to come, to partake of him. And reminding, as, we, as, we, as we partake these elements into our body, we're, we're reminded that we're the body of Christ and he is in us. This mystical union that we have. It, it, it seals, it reminds us that the relationship we have, that we have with him is sealed. It's settled. Not because of us, but because of what he has done for us. It's a commitment to this message that the world needs, that the city of Baltimore needs. Who's invited to the table? All those who understand the gospel and have repented of their sins, who are seeking to walk in faithfulness to the Lord, to children who've been invited to the table. If you're not a member of this church, but you know Christ and you know the gospel, and you're, and, you're, and you're trusting in Christ alone, you're also invited to partake of these elements. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's a Lord's table. We'll give you a chance now to just, just talk to God for just a minute and say, Lord, 
Prepare me for to receive this, this grace. So we're reminded that any change, any transformation that takes place in our city must begin with us who, who have integrity and honesty before you. Thank you that your word says that if we walk in the light as you're in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're lying. We're deceiving ourselves. Thank you that we can walk in light. We can confess our sin and you're faithful and just. Make this celebration, this celebration supper, a blessing an encouragement, a strengthening of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The body of Christ.